Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful Final Fantasy X episode of Normandy FM. Here, as always, one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how are you doing this week? Feels like we haven't spoken in a while. It's almost like, you know, we haven't spoken in like a whole day since we last recorded one of these podcasts. Yeah, it's almost like we weren't literally just in a Discord call as I was watching you play Wildermyth, <laughs> like, <laughs> not five minutes ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Ken and I never see each other these days. It's eternally apart. But you know who we do never see? The one, the only, Kyle Campbell. Welcome onto the show. How are you doing today? Uh, not too bad. I'm not sure I can follow that up, that intro. But uh, <laughs> yes, it is indeed the one and only Kyle Campbell. But uh, no, I'm really excited to be here. So. Yeah, we've, I've been joking with you for like what feels like years at this point about you coming onto the show, and we finally found a window for that yeah. to happen. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it helps that I've actually played this game as opposed yeah. to like The Last of Us or something, right? I still <laughs> haven't, so... I, we, we have plenty of people who, who pick up and play the games uh, along with the podcast, but it does usually help when they when they come on the podcast to have played <laughs> the game in question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you would hope so if you were going to, you know, want some knowledge of the thing you're about to talk about. But yeah, this one, this one will be good. <laughs> yeah. So so why was why was this the window? What, what history do you have with Final Fantasy X? And also before you get there, tell us a little bit about yourself and then tell us about your history of Final Fantasy X. Uh, okay, well, people probably know me. I, I'm a freelancer in the games industry and uh, the freelance writer. And uh, people primarily probably know me from review stuff I did at IGN. But these days, I'm a full-time news writer for USA Today's For the Win, covering all sorts of gaming content. And we're building that up with the strategic... Or I'm part of the strategic partnership with uh, GLHF and uh, USA Today. And we're just doing lots of really cool gaming stuff. And it's just... It's only I've only been doing it for about two months, so that's probably what anyone that is familiar with. If anyone were to know me from anything, it would be that, probably. <laughs> but um, aside from that, okay, so uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention this game on here, but uh, the whole reason I played Final Fantasy X was because <laughs> I played it. I am one of the... I'm sure several deviants you've had on that is really big into Final Fantasy XIV. Mm. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I got and I got into that game uh, probably like five years ago, and I play it like all the time still, all these years later. But I I had never played Final Fantasy like any of them before that. Actually, oh, I just remembered. This is this is a <laughs> this is perfect. So years ago, actually that. I had not played one of the, any of the mainline Final Fantasies after I had played 14, but, but, and I, I forgot all about this till just now, the first single-player Final Fantasy that I ever played was Final Fantasy X-2. <laughs> I love this Wait, already. <laughs> did you play X-2 before you played X, then? About 15 years before X. Yes. Goddamn. <laughs> I was just like, okay, so... I remember I had seen a friend back in like, like elementary school playing Ten, and I didn't have a PlayStation Two at the time, so I just never, I never got to play it. And so by the time I did get one, um, Ten Two was out, and I was like, well, I don't really want to play the first one because the new one's out, like you know, mm -hmm. F FOMO mm -hmm. and whatnot. And I was a stupid child. Um, and so yeah, I played Ten Two first. Uh, I got the. I did not get the complete ending. Or I guess I can't talk about that. Um, 
but oh, uh, you, you can reference it yeah okay <laughs> sorry um i did not get uh the complete ending but i loved it mm -hmm. a lot it's a, that god that game is just mint um best combat system uh, somebody that, some might call it the best one so <laughs> some might say but many years later um i got into 14 and then i started going back and playing like the whole mainline mm. series so i i went back and i played eight and then nine uh and then two years ago uh, i played 10 for the first time and uh, i think um if you were to ask me what I think the best Final Fantasy is, I would probably say nine. But if you were to ask me what I think it, what my favorite is, excluding mm. fourteen, um, I won't get into that whole conversation. <laughs> but uh, I would say ten because I think it's highs. I don't think it's as tight as nine. I just think nine is mm. like a little is like a perfect script. It's a masterpiece. Um, but um, and I don't think quite 10 quite gets to the same highs or the same consistency, but I think it's highs are more poignant for me. Like mm. there's so there's so many scenes in this game, uh, especially how it deals with faith and whatnot yeah. that I just mm -hmm. think is just like fascinating. And it just, you know, it's just, it's just a, a marvelous, like, you know, game that like, you can understand why so many people all these years later, consider it the, the, not only the best final fantasy but like the best like jrpg of its generation and whatnot mm. and then it's just like that in in all these all those years later when i replayed it or when i played it for the first time rather um back in, in 2019 i thought it was like it was kind of remarkable how well it holds up like across the board mm. in terms of yeah. its script and uh it's acting um you know there, there's obviously some you know things that are a little bit rough like um i always reference this but uh, uh you know like there's one there's a, i think it's audio compression or something but like there's there's very few moments where like sometimes a character will say a line like incredibly quickly like yeah, there's yeah. one there's one point where there's one infamous moment where it's like where, where titus says like i wanted to to experience it with or no he says but i wanted to experience it with you by my side yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> makes me laugh every time. Like people clown on the laughing scene because they're first of all they're fools. Um, second mm. of all, they should laugh at the by you know by my side scene because that makes me lose it every time. But yeah, it's just it's just a beautiful game and a beautiful story, and I think it's just timeless as a result because, like I said, I don't mm. really. I mean, I guess I do have some nostalgia because I played this. <laughs> I played Ten Two first. Mm. Um, but I did, I did not have had nostalgia for 10 when I went into it. And like now I think mm. it's my favorite one. It's just, yeah, it's just an excellent game. Yeah. It's a good thing yeah. we're not going to be talking about issues of faith on this episode. Mm. No worries there. No, <laughs> but I mean, it, it is interesting because like the majority of the people that we've had on this season have like a 20 ish long year history with this game. And you're coming in, like, you know, with a more like a relatively uh, recent uh, experience with it. And, Still saying that like it feels like timeless and holds up, and that has kind of been my feeling as we've been going through for the show. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's nice to like hear like from an outside perspective that's not necessarily tied to my nostalgia for it as well. It just like is kind of universally still, yeah, pretty well and regarded. It, even even just like the technical side of it, like the art direct. Like yes, I was playing the HD remaster, but like like mm -hmm. the art art direction in this game is mm -hmm. just like unreal like i'll it's never incredible. i'll never forget the um like i think one of the best cutscenes in any video game ever is like you know yuna 
performing the sending on the water. It's just like mm. this is this mm. is so like how do how are people so talented to make this? I don't understand. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, no, it's not. It it's definitely holds up. Like you could, I think you could li- release Final Fantasy X now. Like say it didn't come back come out back in uh, 2001. Mm. You could release it in 2021, and I think it would still be a huge hit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. And, and like I, that scene, the sending scene, is like one of three that I think are like just e- e- sit in the memory of everyone who has ever played yeah. one of these games. And and sadly, the next two uh, are ones that we'll have to get to later in the series. So one of them is in the next part, uh, the next episode of Normandy FM. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just an incredible thing that the more I play it, the more I I've thought in my head so far while we've been playing this. Uh, you know, could you do a Final Fantasy X remake in the style of like Final Fantasy VII remake and try and make this more of an action style game and try to have more of a well-realized world in terms of how large it is and the scale of things and really get that across? And at the beginning, I was kind of thinking that, especially with some of the sin fights early on, um, I was like, oh, you can really kind of see some of the limitations they were working around. But now, the further in we get in this game, I'm like, no, nah, I think this is good. As yeah. is, I like, you know, graphically you could touch it up, but even then graphically it still looks great. The only bummer about the HD remaster is, I know I've complained about this at least once on here, is that the save system menu is just the PlayStation save mm-hmm. system menu that you have to use. And there was a really cool, like, graphic style that the original save system uh, had that you don't get in this version and it bums me out every time I go to save my game because I, I want that little like the the little pips and the noises and the portraits and all that and we don't get it when we play this version and that's the <laughs> one gripe fix that one thing it's a perfect game um but I will say that for this episode we definitely have big highs to talk about because we are headed to Beaconel Islands uh, which some people might remember better as the place where home is. <laughs> it turns out you can actually go home again. <laughs> We're going back home. Uh, we wake up at the Oasis. Oh, we forgot. We forgot the one special thing we always do. Kyle, how do you pronounce the name of the protagonist of this game? Well, I know what it is, but I do always say Titus. It just by mm. reflex. I know that that's not. I believe that that's not the correct way to say it, but I I always say Titus. I think I already did earlier, <laughs> just <laughs> instinctively. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that that's what I do. I don't know. I don't know. I guess like it was like one of those things where like I seem to recall some memory like way back when I was playing Ten Two, and then my friend at the time was like, like there, there there's like a character. Obviously, there's a character that looks like Titus in Ten Two, and I'm like wait, who's that guy from the first one? He's like, oh, that's Titus. And that's just how it's been for me ever since. <laughs> Good. Damn. More more points for me. If someone out there is keeping tally, please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we wake up and, and Titus is on, uh, is in the Oasis and kind of makes a reference to Jet, says, like, I forgive you, but, but be good for a while, okay? Uh, and then we head off into the desert all alone, after turning around to pick up the the chest that we saw in the cutscene, <laughs> uh, we and we fight a big old flying monster that that Titus is 
Uh, somewhat struggling to handle alone. I don't know. I felt like my Titus was holding his ground all right, but uh, eventually Orin shows up and helps out, and then, bam, Lulu. The way Lulu enters is great because you just see a lightning bolt come in from mm-hmm. off screen, and then she shows up, and it's another one of these cool things where you can tell they're just having fun with the battle system and yeah. and ways of bringing these characters back in and, and having these little moments. Uh, and then, you know, Lulu points out that everybody's supposed to stay in one place if they get split up, but everybody, we all just start looking for everyone. Uh, we, we go out and we collect all the other party members in a little uh, section that's just kind of collecting people up. Uh, Kimari, Waka, Riku. Um, the only person we're not finding is Yuna. No one knows where Yuna is. And so Riku informs us that uh, she might know... Well, she knows where everyone is. She knows they're on Beaconel Island. And there's a place near here called Home. And it's where the Albed gather. And she thinks Yuna might have ended up there. And she promises to take us there as long as we don't tell the Yevonites about home. And then Waka starts going off in what will be a long series of Waka, please shut the fuck up moment. <laughs> I, lo- I, lo- I love during this cutscene where it just like the camera just zooms in on his face and he just mm-hmm. looks like, She's like no glaring either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what, it was like a, it's a surprisingly like funny, like physical, like humor bit. Like, cause the game is like, you know, it, Techno- like in terms of like where it's technologically, it's not doing a whole lot of that. So it was just like a funny thing. It was like they they uh, really captured that moment and captured that bit in a way that a lot of I, I guess the game doesn't have a whole lot of like humor that is expressed through anything beyond like dialogue usually. And so that is like a, that's always been like a funny moment that sticks out to me, and it's uh, mm-hmm. very gifable as well. Yeah, I think I've got works. it as like a reaction gift on my phone. And it works out too, considering like. Like one of the wild things about this game, and, and like you know, sometimes it's easy to make fun of like the like stilted animations and whatnot in 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 the in engine stuff, but like mm. when you think about it, like these like the the team making it was like they were learning how to use the PlayStation Two for the very first time, and they made mm-hmm. like the best looking game of it of that period of the game of the console's life cycle. So it's it's really impressive, especially yeah. considering it holds up. Mm-hmm. And. As far as Waka goes, this whole conversation is just, like, digging in on his most infuriating aspects. I know that part of it is supposed to be, like, he plays, he's staged as the opposition to then push Riku to further elaborate on things. Like, I can kind of see the narrative gears turning here as to why Waka needs to kind of be like, oh, well, you know why can't we let the Yevonites know? And Riku's like, because Yevon did something to the Albed like ages before. And that's why we've all been scattered everywhere. But then Waka comes back with like, Oh, you're just making up. And if you're not making it up, then y- y'all must've deserved it. And that's the line that I was like, Waka, <laughs> shut up. Oh my God. Even Titus in game is like, look, can you please shut up? Can we all please just go to home? Um, Waka would rather die in the desert than than not be racist in this <laughs> video game. True. Um, but we also get a little moment with Riku where we find what Riku... So Riku has already had kind of like one mechanic introduced of she can steal things, but I feel like the whole steal an item from a chest thing barely ever pops up in this video game outside of 
the the section where it tutorializes it and then a few times here in the desert um mostly i found riku's steal to be especially useful in the way it teaches us here which is that if she steals from a machina she can destroy it in a single go yeah. uh which is super useful and mm. i wish i'd had that so many times <laughs> previous yeah. encounters uh, it, it but it basically makes where... her and Lulu like a, a two-woman mocking yeah. a wrecking team. It was, it was, it's pretty much the one point in the game where like I really feel like I got a whole lot of use out of her because like she is not necessarily the same with Mari, but like she is kind of a, a gimmick character in the way that like mm-hmm. she's very situational, and mm-hmm. um, I and that just, that's disappointing to me in terms of like I would like to use this character who is one of my favorites in the game more often. Mm-hmm. I just don't always have a slot where she necessarily fits into a lot of these combat scenarios so when you had a point where like i was like she was a person that i needed on the front line the entire way through i was able to move her through her sphere grid a lot more just because she was actually getting to participate in shit and which is good because like you know there's gonna be stuff in the next episode where we're going to have to use her because we're gonna have a lot of more underwater fighting and so this, i was glad to have this like long section where she was one of the most important characters to have around it's just a nice little bit of like the narrative weaving in with gameplay to mm-hmm. like it's just like makes sense um from so many different angles and I'm, I'm the same way as ken that just like i wanted her user more in my party and like but like there's like a point where you're just like well do i really want to like swap out like lulu for her or or walker like one of the like really top tier characters or Orin, and it just mm-hmm. like isn't viable for a lot of fights early on i find um, yeah mm-hmm. so but yeah once you get there she's like she just cuts the battles like in half. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, it makes leveling up really easy around that point. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I feel like the later in this game you go, and and maybe this is because I've also looked into stuff that's like what the speed running strategies for this game are and stuff like that. But even if you're doing the late game optional fights and challenge fights and all that, Riku becomes incredibly important for that and that's that's why so when i was playing this section ken was once again observing me on discord uh as i was playing through this section <laughs> and i kept stopping to make sure i picked up all the albed primers that are in home because for story reasons we will these are missable uh like three in home and then one in a later section are missable and all the other ones can pop up in other places but uh to get a certain item that Riku can use to basically max out your party for a combat, like make them all do like 9,999 damage on every hit and and every attack and stuff. Uh, You have to get all the Albed primers and it suddenly turns Riku into this character that become like a a late game powerhouse that will Mm. make your party able to easily breeze through a bunch of stuff that normally couldn't. Um, at least until you get like break limit stuff. Uh, and I think it's interesting. Like Riku is the most conceptually interesting character in this game to me, like from a mechanical mm. combat standpoint, because you get all of her tools up front and it's basically like, okay, instead of unlocking more abilities, you know, unlocking stronger magic as you go, unlocking uh, more tools that kind of move your character into the places where they should be. Um, what if you had a character that was just kind of did one thing and you had to think about all the different applications that could come from that? Because when you start digging into stealing and using as a concept, there's a lot of stuff that you can do. And and I, I bring that up because in this section, I'll just say upfront, like Yuna is not in this section at all. 
Like mm. we don't have Yuna for this entire section of the game. And I think up to this point, a lot of players probably relied on Yuna for healing. And Yuna yep. is a very strong healer at this point. Like she, in, in previous fights, she's able to keep the party alive through massive attacks. And now you're facing not only some of the strongest common enemies that you've run into so far, but you don't have that source of healing to use. And I know I was starting to suddenly burn through a ton of consumables in ways I hadn't before. I was starting to use the flea option a lot more uh, when it was a fight that I just didn't want to use resources on. I didn't think I needed to tackle yet. And Riku started becoming much more important because not only can she heal by using regular items and by using Albed potions that we've been picking up throughout this area, but she also starts to double as oh, she can use smoke bombs to cast dark on enemies, or she can use, uh, forget which one does the silence on enemies, but like silence and dark uh, properties become so important against some of the battles in this area. And Riku becomes another conduit for that outside of Waka, who's usually applying those status effects. So it's, it's a really cool thing. And I think Riku is honestly a really conceptually cool character that, it it does feel like you have to go out of your way to right. engage with, but ends up being really cool the further you delve into that as this really interesting flex character. It's what I wanted Kimari to be. This is like right. what Kimari should be on paper is this type of character. And so Kimari's just like, I think going through Oren's path right now on my playthrough. Um, mm. And, and <laughs> gearing up for the one time in this game, he's going to have to be like strong and important. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we arrive, uh, we, we travel through the desert through a lot of just open desert and some big enemies. Like I said, some really tough enemies uh, that I would say are like more powerful than any regular mobs we've run into at this point. I would say this is the part of the game where the combat really, steps it up and you start feeling like you're being presented with a challenge with every fight and not just the sort of, Hey, here's a jelly and a wolf and a big armored lizard. Do you remember which ones you have to use on which to take these enemies out? Now it's giving you these very like powerful enemies, like the Guado assassins, like the chimeras that are going to require you to adapt on the fly and use different effects and switch party members in and out to deal with them. So, uh, I, I dig this section a lot for that. I think but, it's, I think it's also just like a nice reprieve, not a reprieve, but it's like, it gives you like some time to like, like chew mentally on like what's happening in the story because you're just kind of mm -hmm. like in a, in a desert and like catching yeah. up on everyone and like you know like like one of my favorite moments in this section is just kamari walking up a hill and sliding down it mm -hmm. like he, he, he's <laughs> totally lost without yuna he had hidden it's just like i feel you uh, man but uh he it's it's a it's just like an interesting kind of like zen like area like obviously um there's Until lots it's of not. There, there's lots of sight yeah exactly until it's not and like is it, it correct me if i'm wrong is this where like the giant sandworms like pop up on yeah. The yeah yeah yeah, yeah those, some those are... dune stuff going on it's great <laughs> yeah yeah except for no one in dune hit hit a sandworm off the off into the sun like Oren can um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's, it's just like it's a nice like example of pacing in this game and how I think the pacing in this game specifically is just like masterful for a JRPG where it's just like, okay, mm -hmm. we want you to think about that Yuna's not here and how important she is to you. 
not just in the story but like mechanically because like you do feel right. a bit like like naked without her because it's just like you do it like you said you have to get used to uh riku kind of like doubling as a healer potentially or you have to realize like man i should have bought more potions earlier <laughs> and whatnot mm-hmm. um because it just it did you know she's her presence her her being missing is like immediately felt like in every sense i like right. that i hadn't thought of that that's that's cool um that that like mechanical feeling of absence felt in both combat and story and like now having to suddenly resort to so much stuff that you had not had to to maybe previously utilize Mm. um so we get to home and home's on fire our home is on fire (laughs) oh no our home it's broken oh Uh, (laughs) (laughs) can that can that be the can that be the episode title get i will consider it (laughs) (laughs) um so fiends are all over the place uh attacking uh riku runs up to one of the injured albed who she calls out by name i feel bad that i suddenly can't remember what the name of it was uh but uh runs up to one of the albed and is like hey uh yevin guado they're attacking they're like being attacked by these forces um and a bald Albed guy runs up and starts speaking, not Albed, speaking, I guess, English speaking. And they never give it like another name. Spirin. So. <laughs> sure. I do like that in games that never really specify what the language is, but still have different languages that are not like the known language. Always interesting to me. Like you came up with a name for Albed, but did not come up with a name for the language that everybody else speaks. Okay. English um, in a world without England. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, dialect, the dialect coach didn't get enough time to come up with a second name. What was the, was it Dragon Age Inquisition where I completely lost it over one of the characters using a French term? Oh, yeah, like, like... yeah, that they have no like idiomatic bait. That is one of my biggest pet peeves in anything ever is when they use a phrase that is the characters in this world have no idiomatic base for, they do not understand what this thing is. And yet they just referenced it anyways, mm. because people use it like real people use it in real conversation, but not in this fantasy world. Anyways, it's like my biggest pet peeve. So, <laughs> uh, Sid runs up as we learn, his name is Sid. He's the leader of the Albed and also Riku's father, uh, which would make him Yuna's uncle. Uh, uh, as we have also previously learned uh, from, I think that was Luca when Yuna gets kidnapped and she says like, uh, go looking for, for mm. Sid. Um, a voice just keeps yelling over the intercom the entire dungeon. It straight up sounds like he's saying, I'm annoying, huh? And it goes through the whole fucking section, even in like the most emotionally dire moments. I know. <laughs> and I can't unhear that it just sounds like this annoying man. It sounds like he's saying, like, he's reminding me that he's annoying. Like, I mean, he's saying something in Albed, so I don't, I don't know what he's saying. But it sounds distinctly like he is in, being very insistent that he's doing this to bother me. Yeah, it's like a mis- misheard lyrics thing. I won't mm-hmm. be able to unhear that. Yeah. That, that drove me crazy, too, actually. It's just like, okay, can you not, like, especially during the, like, the important cutscenes, can you just, like, tone yeah. it down a little, please? <laughs> We're in the middle of something over here. Come on, man. <laughs> People are yeah. having emotional breakdowns. Could you just, like, mm-hmm. chill for a second? Yeah, exactly. Like, we, we know the city is under attack. Well, we know. Okay, 
Mm-hmm. You want enough sweaty. That's enough. <laughs> I I like that you note here, Ken, that you ran out of power spheres at this point. How much further ahead on the sphere grid are you from me? Are you like higher level than I am at this point? I probably am not. I haven't I haven't done any grinding. I haven't had a point okay. where I needed to do that. Like I've had points where some of the fights have been tougher, but I have not actually like I haven't like lost to the point where like I need to grind yet. So I think that's my mm. issue. It's that like I'm just doing fewer fights and maybe I do need to rectify that at some point. Um, although I won't have a real opportunity for mm, episode or two. Yeah, that that's the tough part. I remember getting stuck on a few parts in this game because there are areas where you just do not have an opportunity to go grind without making it a big hassle. And so you either have to go through a lot of like hoops to be able to grind and level up to be to the point where you need to be, or you just need to like brute force your way through it. And to be fair, I think there are a lot of boss battles in this game that are more about mechanical understanding than they are about being able to do the numbers you need to Mm do. But at the same time there, there's one or two in particular that I can think of that we will get to that are definitely like run stoppers. I'm not looking forward to Mount Gagazette is what I'm saying. That is, it's going to be a long episode. It's really easy (laughs) to also like miss out on an area that's like great for leveling up because you just want to like progress through the story Mm -hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't mention it because it's uh, coming up soon. But like, like there's one part in the game that's just like sublime for leveling, and it, and if you and it's very small, and if you miss it, you just like like you can save yourself so much headache if you take advantage of it. And there's there's a few moments in this game um, that are like that. Like I remember I, I leveled up uh, a lot in. Uh, it's not a good spot to level up, but I did it in. Uh, Oh, not not the thunder plains i can't remember that. it's like the a green grassy area early on where you get like a chocobo for the first time what am i f- i'm forgetting what it's called uh, oh the, the, yeah the me and high road yeah there you go and um and uh yeah there, there, there's there's very clear moments where it's like okay leveling up here is kind of a waste of time but it might be your only option for a long time <laughs> yeah there's a section of the high road when we were heading to jose temple after like all of the operation Mehen stuff where it was spawning a bunch of basilisks and basilisks always drop ability spheres uh when you kill them and obviously ability spheres especially where i was where lulu was unlocking all of her level two magic and everybody was starting to get some of their abilities as well um i i stayed there for probably an extra like 10 to 15 minutes just fighting basilisks uh to get more ability spheres and and have like a stockpile of them so that that probably helped out a little bit i still i always want to have hastiga like Mm. soon i don't i'm not close enough to it yet but i'm close to hastiga and i really like want to get it within the next episode or two because that's that's the game changer right there. That's mm-hmm. when Titus just fulfills his purpose of swap in Hastiga swap out. Yep. <laughs> um, and we can talk a little bit more at the end of this episode too, because I think it fits better there, but there is like, this is the part of the game where you start to really feel how malleable the sphere grid is and how, how much you can kind of mess around with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is because we start to head underground and we're running through like this collapsing home place. And of course, walk is being a dick and just being like, Oh yeah, no, this place is fucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like, uh, and Riku tells us about how sin destroyed the Island where the Albed used to live, uh, turning them into a nomad, uh, race that then spread across Spira. 
and it was Sid who gathered everyone, all the Albed back to try and build a new home. That's why it was called home is that uh, they wanted it to be this new place. And so Riku says, uh, where we need to head to a place called the Summoner's Sanctum and just kind of leaves it at that. And they don't really like elaborate on it right away. Um, but we, we run through this hallway where there's some really cool stuff where you can head into some of the side rooms, not just to get the all bed primers that are in here, but there are some like chests that will only open if you answer riddles in all bed. And I thought that was like a really cool way of either rewarding players who had been picking up all bed primers up to this point, because you get really, really good spheres out of them. Uh, things like the friend sphere, which lets you, uh, teleport to where somebody else is on the sphere grid or, uh, spheres that let you learn an ability that someone else on the sphere grid knows already and mm. things like that. Um, and it's, it's just also a cool reward. If you don't know all the all bed, it's kind of a logic puzzle where you're going like, okay, well I know enough letters to kind of suss out what an answer to this might be and stuff like that. It's, it's a cool little touch that I enjoyed a lot. I was ter- uh. definitely really smooth brain on this part because I did not pick enough pick up enough Elbed primers and like I was like yeah I can't figure this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've not been great at ensuring that I get them before I leave an area. Um, so far, might go back when we get like when we get to the point where we're doing all the side quests and shit that uh, before- we'll be doing later. I need to go find some of that. Before I forget, Ken, did you say that you locked yourself out of getting the destruction sphere thing in Makalania? No, I got it. It, but okay, it did, got- because, of, because of the order of, of operations, I fucked up and lo- I nearly locked myself out of the room. And that was okay. annoying. That was... So I was looking things up because we are approaching our side quest episode as well. And one of the things for one of the side quests that we need to do is you have to have gotten the Destruction Sphere treasure from every single uh, temple up to that point. Mm, okay. So, uh, yeah, I think you... You did on the other three as well, yeah. but um, the we've got to keep that in mind for Bavel, which is mm. the worst one <laughs> that I may or may not just be planning to use a guide on because <laughs> yeah. I think that one is also like very easily missable if you don't. Mm. Um, anyways, bringing it back around. Uh, after we venture through this area, we keep going on and Lulu starts to kind of press on like, Hey, what's the summoner's sanctum? Uh, Oh, I also want to mention that like Riku has a weird moment where she starts crying on Waka about how bad all this stuff is. And Waka has like the one moment of humanity he has in this (laughs) entire section and then ruins it like five minutes later. So shout outs to Waka. <laughs> he, he really is aggressively racist in this game. Just like, yeah, very, yeah. very void, uh, like uh, verbose about the whole thing. And he just doesn't let up. Like, like at least don't do it when there's like a genocide going on, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's going to get uh, worse. I, it's going to get worse. <laughs> It will, it will get much worse. There's, There was a moment where, again, I was in a Discord playing this with, with Ken and some other pals, and all of us just, like, exclaimed, Waka, what the fuck, all at the same time. <laughs> uh, so uh, Lulu is, is like, hey, what's up with the Summoner's Sanctum? And Riku is like, it's where we keep the Summoner safe. And so everyone kind of connects the dots that, like, hey, 
obviously we knew this at this point, but we knew the Albed are behind the kidnappings. And now we are very clear that like Riku isn't on it too. Everyone is aware now that Riku has been in on this as well. And that it's like a giant, it's not just like some Albed are kidnapping the summoners. It's like an Albed like mission that they are pursuing. Um, And Titus is like, I don't get it. Why would you need to protect them? They've got guardians. So why would you kidnap them? The guardians do their jobs. It's going to be fine. And everyone goes completely dead silent. And Kamari's just straight up like, I'm out <laughs> later. And no one answers him at first, which is, it's, it's, oh man, this gets frustrating. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> It's a little. I really like that that little bit of silence though, because it it is kind of like building, like it. As someone who played it for like, I didn't know the big thing going in was that uh, mm-hmm. Yuna was uh, was supposed to die. Oh, what mm-hmm. Am I supposed to say? No, that? I mean, hey, look, uh, we're, we're about here. to say we're it. So. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay, okay. And I just thought that like, I remember thinking like it was actually pretty effective. Like, I guess it would have been nice if like, for Titus, for uh, Titus' sake, that. Uh, someone tells them but I, I think i think from just like the storytelling perspective it, it works and because you because i've always in my experience or as i was playing through it i felt that uh Titus was like he's very much his own character but he really is like the audience's stand-in mm-hmm. like i i mm-hmm. i stand by the the camp that says that says that yuna is the main character of this game mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. i think there is a like literary term for this but it's like when you experience a story from like a side character's perspective talking okay. about like the the deuteragonist or whatever something like um. that yeah and i that's what kind of what i get uh from from Titus and it's kind of or Titus, sorry. You, you can uh, say whatever you want. You want. You, you live your life. You live your life on this podcast. Okay. You're not I, beholden to the rules I've given. Aaron. Yeah, okay. no, I, I I do this to maintain the peace on the podcast. But you can say whatever you want. So Titus, I think that I can't even remember what I was going to say. So go ahead. I I think you're touching on something because like as we as we say, you know, they initially don't say anything and there's just a very awkward silence and. Uh, we head into the Sanctum. Yuna's not there, but Donna and Isaru both are, as well as Isaru's guardians. And they uh, they tell us to hold on and wait. There were all bad guards here who basically died protecting them. And Pache, the, the very young guardian of Isaru, comes up and asks what sacrifice means. And Titus once again starts pressing all of them. Then Riku is just straight up like, wait, you mean like Yuna never told you? Yuna never... Like, they never told you what was going on. And to be fair, I like the way this starts to roll out, like, this information starts to roll out, is Riku, like, literally cannot believe that Titus doesn't know what's going on because it's, like, unthinkable to her that someone would not know this information. And then the beans get spilled, which is that to beat Sin, summoners have to journey to Xanarkand and get the final Aeon, which will kill Sin, but it kills the summoner in the process. And that's like the big secret behind, well, (laughs) one of the big secrets behind the pilgrimage. (laughs) Um, And obviously Titus starts to have a breakdown uh, because not only has Yuna known this whole time and he's been saying all these things like, Oh, don't worry. Once the pilgrimage is over, we'll come back here and stuff like that. But everyone else around him, Orin, Kimari, Waka, Lulu 
have all known and have not said a word. And uh, Titus starts to press them. He, he gets mad about it. He's like, Lulu, isn't she like a sister to you? Waka, how could you hide this? Why wouldn't you do anything? Or how are you okay with this? And I think this really emphasizes a point that we maybe have not had emphasized a lot up to this point. I mean, we've had shades of it with Lulu on the snowmobile ride kind of being like, well, no one ever really questioned it because that's just the way the world is. And here we really see the effect of that, that like, yes, they tried to talk her down from it, but once she had made the decision, they just accepted that that was okay. And they just didn't say anything about it at that point because it would just make it harder on everybody else. It was just the accepted ugliness of what they were doing that they were all willing to stomach. And I will also say like Oren has been quiet this whole time about it too. And granted Oren is always doing these things because he's like, well, you know, got to tell you at the right time and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially I think the fact that Waka and Lulu have never said anything alongside Yuna, I think it's, it's a real gut punch. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll cap this off before I send it around the room. Like the part after this, where some of the pyreflies are forming into a fiend and Donna and Asaru summon uh, Ifrit and Veilfor to fight. And uh, they're talking about how this is the decision that every summoner makes. Like they know what they're getting into. They know that if they complete their pilgrimage, they will die. Uh, I love the scene of, Titus running over to Veilfor, who is very much like the summon that I think at this point we most closely relate to Yuna and, mm. and have an understanding of like, this is kind of Yuna's summon in a way. Um, and he's like beating on its chest, just yelling and screaming about how terrible it all is. And there's like a weird sereneness like almost comfort that comes from veil for in this part mm-hmm. like it's it kind of bends its wings a little bit as almost as if yep. it's like comforting titus and it's for for a cutscene that i am still kind of bummed was all in engine and i understand why because it's a fairly lengthy dialogue and this probably would have been very expensive and right uh also difficult because of the layout of where they are to to turn into a full cgi cutscene um, this is a part where even in kind of the rigid ways that these characters animate and stuff, I think a lot of the emotion still comes across. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like 100%, especially when like, you do see a little bit of that like stiffness with the animation. Like I think there's one point where like Titus is like hunched over and his lips are mm-hmm. just kind of like flapping and you can tell that they didn't, they they didn't have time to like sync the like English track well or something, but like yeah. James Arnold Taylor's performance is like, you can mm-hmm. just like hear the like direness in this realization. Like mm-hmm. the, this is, this is like, this is like just how things are in this world. And it's like a, a reminder to Titus and the audience that like, yeah, this is this is not where you're from. Things are a lot different here, and like, there's even that desperation where he's, you know, as you mentioned, where he's like, "Well, like, how can you do this? How, like, how can you let Yuna die and all that?" And you kind of end up siding with like Riku, like immediately, or at least I did. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. this is, you know, it, it gets back into that whole thing about how this game is about like faith and questioning it, and how difficult that can be from so many different perspectives because like 
for you know the people of Spira, like this is this is the only way. This is the only way to stop sin for a little bit. Um, and it is like there's like some barbarism to it. Like mm-hmm. you know that that's yeah. Just just go make this like child trained to be this thing for ever for their whole lives, and then just go send them to die. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's a pretty powerful scene. It's it's definitely one of my favorite moments in the whole game just because yeah. it's like it tie i feel like it ties everything together like all right. of the all the themes all the characters and everything and it's like yeah i love it <laughs> and i also think it's just like a moment where a lot of the game that's come before just clicks in a way like mm-hmm. like we had you know various moments throughout uh this season where we've talked about how like nobody tells Titus what's going on and how that can be frustrating and it can seem um unnecessary at times but i also think like this scene kind of encapsulates like why for everyone involved it it had to happen at this moment it couldn't have happened any time before because like it's it's it is a point where yuna is not in the room and like so like mm-hmm. it is much easier to talk about something unpleasant when the person that you're talking about is not there um and riku is here you know she's she's had like this build up through the whole game like trying to like push against everything that everyone else here has been told and everything that they have been you know, made to believe through all these years is how things have to be. And then you have Tia's learning it and reacting in the way that Aaron like said, like why Aaron told him about Jet at like a, like at a point that was not crucial. Uh, so he could have this, you know, this emotional reaction where now we see like Tia's learns this and like he hates everything that he has said and done to Yuna to this point because he realizes how much of an ass he's made of himself by the time it's all over, and he's had this incredibly emotional reaction that is might that is like detrimental to them getting out of here safely, um, for you know the brief amount of time they're still down here. But it also like I, I really buy it in terms of like they have clearly like all these characters have been talking around something because every time that Tina brings up like okay we're gonna come back here later after the, everything's over and then there's just silence or like when we were on the main high road and you know was talking to some of those civilians and then they were like. They kind of, like, gently said, like, we're really looking forward to the next calm. But, like, that carried, like, this weighty sadness to it. And, like, that was unspoken. But, like, anyone who's got, like, the social awareness beyond what Titus has can realize that everyone feels less than, like, thrilled about what they're talking about. Even if they're not, like, going into the actual detail. Um, and I think that's why, like, it, it... Because, it like, everything just clicks better. And, like, by the time the scene is over, I think you needed all those moments of like ambiguity and frustration that like Titus was not being told something for this moment to hit the way it does and that's why I even as a person that has played this game before and knows what everyone's kind of like vaguely not talking about um I don't really find those moments where they don't tell Titus frustrating because I know it's all leading to this like it's leading to the fever pitch of this moment where Mm -hmm. they can really bring home all bring home um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, like the emotional weight of everything that has come before and it ends with like you know Titus has this new resolve he's not gonna let her die like he's like he has to apologize for what, everything that he put her through with all of these like lofty dreams that he had of what they would do after Sin was gone mm-hmm. but he's going to find some way to stop it and if nobody else in this room thinks that that's possible at least in his ignorance he thinks it is I think it's also like a brilliant scene in like like opening your eyes to like how the albed have been treated in this world and how mm-hmm. how they're 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 treated as the outcasts they reject yevin you know they do this they do that 
and like earlier you see like them trying to destroy sin by like you know an unconventional means and like you know like you almost get like this like sense from riku like you all like you know waka chiefly uh, all of you treat us like we're like these heretics but like you're often gonna just go send like a young woman to die like mm -hmm. brutally in like this like mm -hmm. you like you they refuse to uh try something else because like you know to them this is the only way to get rid of sin and uh and and it's not great you know like it's just it's like but at the, and again it, it creates like kind of like that moral dilemma where it's like you meet the people who like who would just love for just a couple years and not have to worry about sin it's like the one little bit of peace mm -hmm. this world gets every so often um mm -hmm. and like for the for the guardians it's probably like this uh, i totally agree with you ken uh up on the point about how like everything leading up to it it makes it click and i also think it also kind of highlights where like for waka and and lulu specifically like it's probably too painful to, for them to even mm -hmm. say that part aloud so they right. just mm -hmm. don't want to um and i also think at that point like they're still question you know uh, for uh, setting aside or and what he knows like i think a lot of them don't really believe that he's literally from xanarkand at this point still um right. in my opinion um that's just my interpretation rather but um, yeah i i think they think they're they're at the point where like they're they realize something is amiss but don't necessarily believe what he is saying like the specifics of what he's saying like yeah. that's my feeling like because lulu said i think it was in uh Guadalajara. she was like i don't i sim there are simply things i don't know right now and right right your xanarkin might be something among them but i'm simply being open to the idea that you might not be fucking with us that you don't understand the world of spirit mm -hmm. you don't understand where we're coming from why anybody is doing the things that they're doing here so i will give you a lore dump every now and then just because <laughs> i'm simply open to the possibility i also like that you have the albed as these characters that are you know they've seen their own share of suffering and even been subjected to extra amounts of it from yevin you know be, being made as these scapegoats and and they're someone who not only did they have their home destroyed but they never really got their home back for the mm. longest time and they're the ones that are pushing for actual change they're the ones right. that are pushing for not just the temporary appeasement of the world's evils but the complete destruction of them and i think overall it's it's a very refreshing view to have on on like the albed as as this like force in the world that they're not just like oh it turns out the church is bad and the albed were right but also that like the Albed have been fighting and struggling in their own way for a long time. And they were not only like not trying to, they were, they were trying to do things about it. They were trying to mm. physically do things about it in the world, uh, in ways that obviously Yevon is not, um, let, let's say encouraged to, it, it's not in their favor to do, mm. uh, for reasons we will also soon discover. But, um, there's still a lot of mysteries in this world, but I like that one of them uh, that we kind of start to cross off in this part is both why the Albed have been doing what they've been doing and also uh, starting to engage with them more as, as a force in this world and something that we get to engage more with and, and tend to as well, because I think the Albed are just like a cool, it, it's a cool world to be around, especially after we've been in so many Yevon temples and heard all the same bullshit over and over here. We've got characters who are reinforcing this idea of 
yeah, no, like sacrificing people to sin is a bad idea. We shouldn't do it. And uh, like Sid is maybe one of my favorite characters in this section because of that. Um, mm-hmm. We we all we we leave the sanctum, uh, and, and I'll also say real quick that I think this is the point where Titus has to become a more mature character. Like we talked about the difference between Titus in the intro of the game, uh, you know, before the arguably flashback or him telling listen to my story these. Mm-hmm may not get this chance again. Um, and then it jumps to him being a much more immature athlete dude in Xanarkand and all that. Uh, I think this is arguably the point where that switch happens. Yeah. And he certainly becomes a character that now has to forge his own path and not necessarily follow the pilgrimage path and follow the people that are around him. And I think that starts to be reflected by the game in very interesting ways. But um, we head to the airship or what we soon learn will be an airship. Uh Brother and Sid are there. Uh, if you forgot, Brother is one of the reoccurring characters that was hanging out with Riku at the beginning of the game that's now here again. Uh, they're trying to get everything ready to go. Yuna is just, de- or, or excuse me, Titus is just demanding to know where Yuna is, uh, just yelling while everyone's trying to, you know, not die. <laughs> and Sid's just like, what are you going to do if you find her? What What are you going to do if you find her? And Titus is just like, I just wanted to say sorry. I have to say sorry. And Sid is like, that's it. You're going to say sorry. You're going to say sorry and then drag her to Xanarkin and still make her fight Sin and still let her die. And let her die so we can all live in peace. And then he dumpsters Titus. Like, just (laughs) TKO's him. Just incredible. And and, uh, he's like, you know, I want action. I don't want to hear just words. And Titus is like, I'm not going to let Yuna die. I, I have decided, you know, I, I like Sid because he forces Titus to actually make a declarative statement mm. and, and find some footing and become a freaking protagonist, man. Like yeah. Titus steps up here in a way that I'm like, Oh, this is a different character entirely than the one we have seen this entire game so far. Uh, and I think there is like a marked difference in the Titus from the first half of this game and the Titus from the last, I mean, not even half, like first two thirds of this game and the last third of this game. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe some of the, let's say judgment of Titus as a character comes from people who have not played the entirety of this game and have not mm. seen that transformation and yeah. seen him what, become that character. What are the character are? <laughs> yeah. What, what a concept. It's it's a frustrating thing because I actually think a lot of characters have this arc, and I, I'm not saying it's like an unoriginal arc, but it is. We've had characters who take a while to come into their own, or hey, look at one of the most popular Final Fantasies having a character that thinks they're a cool guy for a really long time, then learns that they're not really a cool guy. They're actually some other guy, <laughs> and they have to figure out who they are as a person, and that's like a good arc in my opinion. I think that works, especially works for Titus here and that now he's getting his ass suplexed and, Mm. uh, you know, someone's basically telling him stop whining and start doing something about it. I mean, that's what the I'll bet have been doing. And, uh, Sid's like, cool. If you're not going to let her die, you better hold it to it. I'm going to make you regret it if you don't. And, 
uh, it's a great little scene that really sets up this escape from home because it's we're, we're heading out. It feels like heading out on a new quest, like we've embarked on a new branch of the journey that, you know, before we had a lot of we're on the pilgrimage and then there's chaos happening and we're just being scattered to the winds by sin. And now it feels like we are just embarking on a new quest with newfound purpose to to not just, you know, kill sin, but to un unwrong the the state of the world around us mm-hmm. yeah the, 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 you can tell that uh there's some weight to titus's words too like he he means what he's saying and mm-hmm. uh i think this is the point that i actually like i didn't dislike titus i just kind of thought he was like uh, like i said he's always kind of like this but like up until this point he felt more like a an audience avatar um mm-hmm. not not like you know clear cut but he definitely is like he's always like rattling off information about the world or the backstory or how he's feeling um and then here he he definitely like uh, you want to see him succeed in this in this new goal he has because uh yeah it means saving you know so mm-hmm. yeah uh i do love this part here where as we we're taking off in the airship waka realizes they're on a machina because Waka continues to be the densest character in this entire video game and did not realize with all the machine doors that he was walking through and spherical graphical displays around him that they might be using something that isn't just powered by the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We we start to take off from home and uh, there's an exchange between the, the crewmates of the ship and then they start singing the hymn of faith in a very somber tone and Riku looks visibly upset and we're like, what's going on? And Riku says, we're going to blow up home. That's the only way that we can get rid of all those fiends. Uh, you know, we have to get rid of them. Uh, they might chase us. Otherwise, you know, maybe we'll want to come back here, rebuild one day. We need to get rid of them now. So we're going to use the Machina to do it. Yeah. And the, um, you had more outfit primers than I did at this point. Like, did you get the gist of what, like, Sid and brothers say to each other before they start singing? So I, I can make out some of the words, but not enough to, like, really get a sense of it. Uh, I'm trying I will to also find a, 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 like, a translation right now, because, like, that... Well, finish your thought while I keep looking, but... Because, like, I have thoughts on this scene before we actually get to what they're going to do. Uh, um, so I will say that, like, the Hymn of the Faith, for reasons that we will... I think we'll get to in Final Fantasy X or maybe in another text somewhere where they actually talk about the origin of the hymn of faith. Um, Cause there is like a lot of lore behind what the hymn of the faith is. And the short version of that is that it was originally uh, a song of rebellion. It was a song of defiance and it was then later repurposed. Um, and that's all I'll say, because I can't remember if we talk about it in Final Fantasy X or not. But I was looking this up after the section, because I was curious as well, too. I was like, why would Albed characters be singing the Hymn of the Faith? That right. makes, makes like zero sense to me. I will say that it does make sense. Um, do we want to call like quick like two-minute spoiler section here? Um, sure. We can do it. Okay, two-minute spoiler section for anyone who is playing along with the the game and, and playing along with our podcast. This is a spoiler zone. The Hymn of the Faith was originally a Xanarkin song that was sung in defiance of Bevel during the Machina War. 
uh, and Yevon, it was also sung in defiance of like Yevon in general. So the all bed also sang it as a defiance, like a rebellion song. And then they, they had put the, the, the clergy of Bevel put a ban on it. And then uh, they eventually realized they couldn't like get the hymn out of the people's mouths. So what they did is they lifted the ban and then started to change the story around it, said that it was actually a song to soothe the souls of the dead and kind of turned it into part of their scripture. And so as Yevin took over, they repurposed it. But I think the intention potentially with Al, especially with Albed character singing it is that it is still um, in the song of, feel, yeah. 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 But that, it also like here, it carries a connotation of mourning as well. So it is still a somber song. So um, this is definitely a part where the lore gets spotty, but yeah. And like, I'm, I'm reading on like the wiki now that apparently Megan tells you that. And I don't remember when that was, but I don't think it's happened yet. And that's why that was why the scene was like confusing to me. Cause like it, it, if you're not a person that has already like gotten to that point or heard that, why, like, it just seems like the scene itself would just be confusing. I think it plants a seed. It plants mm. just a little like nugget of something is is awry here um and it's cool i i like that idea because i mean look in real life we have instances of uh either you know pagan traditions or uh just in general songs being repurposed to suit the needs of a religious organization mm. uh so this fits in well with that and the game's overall themes so right. Um, we carry on forward out of the spoiler zone uh, into uh, them launching the missiles in what's kind of a cool cutscene. I wouldn't say it's like one of my favorites, but it's pretty cool. Uh, we now know that missiles and rockets exist in this <laughs> world. Uh, and we see home get blown up. And then in what might be the densest line in the entire game, Waku tries to cheer Riku up and then says, it's like fireworks. Mm. Which is definitely what you should say to a person who's watching their home being blown up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this fucking man. I don't blame like the writing of anything. I because I think they are just genuinely like trying to capture like a dude who is like seeing these people as people for the first time in his twenty something years of life, mm-hmm. trying to not be uncomfortable in all the things that have happened to him mm. all at once and. Trying to not, like, try, like, because, you know, he's, like, seeing these people, like, mourn something when he thought, you know, 30 minutes ago that these people were, like, were just these fucking heretics. They couldn't, like, didn't care about anything. They just, all they cared about was, like, destroying. And so now he's just, like, dealing with all these conflicting emotions and awkwardness that he says some stupid head-ass shit. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine, like, if, like... So like nine eleven's happening and you just say to someone oh, in God. New York, like it's fireworks. I, oh. <laughs> That's basically yeah. what he's doing though. Yeah, like it's. I mm, I don't know how no one in this video game punches Waka more often than they he deserves it. Like Oof. that's. Yeah, he, uh, he, he he has no tact whatsoever. He just. Yeah. But I do think I do think Ken's right that he he's actually trying to not be a dick. Like he's still a dick. But he's not being actively, he's not trying to be harmful here. He's just, he's just very smooth brain. 
Right. Let us all learn a lesson from Waka. Sometimes it is genuinely better to shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Silence is sometimes an option and sometimes the better option than opening your mouth. Uh, thanks to Waka for teaching us all a valuable <laughs> lesson. Um, so we we talked to, to Sid about the Bakina that he's using to try and find, uh, you know, I cannot remember what the name of it is, but it's got like a super sick sci-fi name that somehow involves the word sphere, I'm guessing. Um, and Sid's basically like, man, hell if I know how we're finding Yuna. I don't know how half this stuff works because mm. it's all been taboo and we've never been able to properly research it. The airship you're in was literally the one that you dig out of the bottom of the sea at mm. the beginning of the game, which is a neat tie back, but also like, man, <laughs> this is like what they're working with. So he's just like, yeah, I don't know. I hope it finds her. That'd be cool if it did. <laughs> and no. I kind of I dig that. Uh, and you can run around and talk to various different characters here. Uh, and I like that this is one of the sections of the game where you can go and talk to a character. It's specifically Riku, uh, where you will talk to Riku and then Oren also joins the conversation. And I was like, oh, man, these characters were, were just having a conversation on on the the ship. Everyone's talking to each other. Somehow Final Fantasy X is a step ahead Mass Effect 2 yep. in that regard. <laughs> like that's these characters interact with each other. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's I I really dug this part because I also the party, regardless of Waka's head assness, uh is starting to feel like a genuine party and not just a mishmash of characters that are all cobbled together as Yuna's guardians. But mm. it's, it's cool that, you know, Kyle was talking earlier about how the absence of Yuna is, is felt in mm. the beginning of the section. I'd say the absence of Yuna is felt here in the sense that these characters are sticking together and working together and trying to figure out solutions, even when Yuna is not there and Yuna has so traditionally been the glue that holds them together. So it's cool right. to see them mm -hmm. deal with the absence in one way and then persevere regardless of the absence afterwards and still mm. stay together as a group. Uh, when it could have been easy for any of them to just be like, nah, peace. I'm, I'm out. I'm done with all this. Um, so we, we have to go walk around the ship a little bit. Uh, the game wants us to go explore the airship a little uh, we can run into a few side characters here. Isaru and his brothers are here. They are still determined to see the pilgrimage through. Uh, we do, however, run into Donna, and Donna is having a crisis of faith, let's say. Mm. Uh, a moment where she is starting to wonder, should I give up my pilgrimage? Uh, and I think it's interesting. Like She'd just given this big speech in home about defending like, like this is what summoners do this is mm. what we do this is what we've chosen but now that she's having a moment to decompress and not be in the adrenaline of what's happening around her she is having a breakdown because she's mm. like do i want to keep doing this is this am i it's it's very personal for her too and you know is she cut out for this and when you you, you have two answers which seem like they kind of result in the same response either way uh, where you can say like, sure, sounds good to me. You know, like quit your pilgrimage or who cares? Do whatever you want. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I kind of like that. It's the, I think that like when you first meet Donna too, she, you kind of expect her to be like, like the Gary 
of this game. You know what mm. I mean? Like yeah. from <laughs> yeah. where it's just like the rival uh, to Yuna's summoner, and like you know she's like she's steadfast and tough and et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of like that. Like her of all, of the all the summoners you meet is kind of like eh, I don't know about this anymore. Right. Um, it's just kind of like a nice little, uh, not maybe not intentional subversion, but it's just like, it's interesting that it comes from that character of all of them and not something mm-hmm. like easy if it was a Saru or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a cool moment. It's also interesting that like another character that has been with Donna this whole time, Bartello is not here. Um, I, I, so I she has, she has to decompress with fucking Titus of all people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and she even mentions the idea of her and Bartello just running away somewhere because she would be ostracized because of leaving her duty mm-hmm. and, and people never forgive a summoner who quits and all that. Uh, so I think it's just a really cool scene. I like it a lot. I also, I like that Donna is, is the one to have it. Uh, if only because I think Isaru fits better the idea of someone who goes through this whole thing and still feels devout. And I think Donna having a crisis of faith fits very well, uh, especially because she is such a not just headstrong person, but understands like the difference in power dynamics that exist in this world mm. and is seeing how that is like taking a toll on not just the the people that she knows, but, you know, the all bed who just gave their lives, regardless of the fact that she is a summoner and, you know, stands for Yevon and all that, but these people still gave their lives to defend her anyways. And yeah, it's an that's something, yeah, it's an, something it's, that would move anyone. It's a, it's a, it's definitely kind of like that crisis of faith thing coming in. Like the heretics just died for you because mm-hmm. they didn't even know you, but they, they did, they so did not believe in right. what Yevon was doing to these summoners that they, that they, like that, that, that would probably make someone, even someone as headstrong as Donna, go like, "Yeah, mm. uh, maybe there's something. Maybe they, they I'll bet are onto something here." Yeah, right. like, where's Isaru? Even... I was just gonna say Isaru would be like, "It's Yevon's plan" or whatever. Right. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is like that's interesting about it is that like she's seen somebody do something not because Yevon told them it had to be this way, but like they made that decision of their own like worldview. Like, and that's even something like in real world shit. Like people. You know, certain, like, subsets of religious people, like, be like, how can you have, like, a moral compass if a religion doesn't give it to you? And then here you have these Albed that, like, as, you know, as they've been preaching throughout this whole section, like, they didn't need Yevon, like, they didn't need to be, like, in that to know what's right and wrong. And that is something that a lot of these characters are kind of, like, that is the, the paradigm that they live within, that, like, they mm-hmm. do what they're, they've been told by Yevon because that's all they've ever known that's what they've been told, right? Where now these people are showing them there, maybe there are other options. Maybe there are other things that we can do in this world. Mm-hmm. So we head back to the main room and Orin is arguing with Sid about whether Sid is going to stop the pilgrimage or not. It's very strange that Orin is very insistent on the pilgrimage continuing. Uh, more on that to come. <laughs> but uh, Sid says he he's going to because he doesn't want his niece sent to her death. And, and now we have the confirmation Riku and Yuna are cousins. Uh, and also that Yuna is part Albed. Uh, and Waka, of course, is having another little breakdown over here. He has a moment where he can go over and talk to her, uh, talk to him. And he's like, oh, Yuna's Albed. But Yuna, Yuna's Yuna, right? And it's, <laughs> you're just like watching this man trying to undo racism in his mind 
and just hamster yeah. on a wheel like <laughs> yeah because i mean like it's he is trying but also like i just i take issue with that he like has to contextualize it as yuna's albed but she's still yuna not like yuna right. is an albed and that is fine like that is like you know a, a sort of like that's, that's like a coping mechanism that prejudiced people have to get through like when they learn something new about certain people that it, they have to be like it doesn't matter that they're that because they're still the person that i knew and like yeah no it does matter and you need to be accepting of the fact that they are not what you thought it's not that far removed from like the oh but you're you're a good person right of this yeah. background one of the good like, ones as they call it. exactly <laughs> and it's which is just all kinds of additional nasty and it's like god waka just please for the love of god stop being racist <laughs> like yeah, i'm in, in an airship i can throw you out of it now <laughs> it's, yeah the albed just saved you and you're still having a problem with this yeah come on he's, dude he's over here having like a, a like a tantrum about racism and meanwhile like the people he's being racist towards are carting his ass to his next destination wherever it might be like oh my god you totally you totally know if there was YouTube in this world that Waka would be watching all of the like right wing <laughs> like YouTubers and qu- you know like qu- quoting them hypothetically speaking. Um, but uh, he's totally like that guy that I like, saw he, a video he... on, on Reddit, man. <laughs> oh, this podcaster he told me about vaccines, yeah. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> All of that implies that Walk would be willing to use a machine anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good yeah. point. But he probably would because it's like, well, well this, because is, it's this the is my machina. machina. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the approved machina. It's the good. It, he literally has the line earlier when they're crossing the moon flow about like, oh, there's good machina. You know, Yevon says it's okay to use this machina. <laughs> Yevon branded machina. That's the only thing he buys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can only go to like a pre-approved website. Oh, yeah. God. Uh so we talked we talked to brother brother has found yuna using this this magical sphere locator uh we see her in bevel with seymour dun 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 in a wedding dress dun 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 and titus is like full steam ahead baby we gotta get there we gotta take care of some stuff and sid's like dude that's bevel that's the headquarters of the church there's so many defenses there and titus was like well we better get ready for battle then and it's it's like hell yeah baby let's go uh i respect the the newfound relation both the new titus and the relationship that he has with sid in this Mm. moment uh and it leads into what i'm going to say this next episode is one of my favorite parts of final fantasy Mm 10 it is a genuinely incredible section of Final Fantasy X. I'm very excited to talk about it. I do want to note before we get there uh, that this is the part where, as you can talk to everybody around the area, uh, and Waka's still having his little breakdown, you can talk to Lulu, and Lulu says, it's something really weird, but she's basically like, we might be running into unexpected areas. Bevel has a lot of water, so you, you and Riku might want to brush up on your magic. And it's both a very good, you know, foreboding of what is what is about to happen and the the situations that you were about to be thrust into in in Bevel. Uh, But also an encouragement of 
opening up the sphere grid and being like, well, how do you mean brush up on your magic? And so at this point, you've probably collected a few spheres like the black magic sphere, which lets anybody learn a black magic node that somebody else has learned on the sphere grid or other stuff that you can kind of jump around and learn different things from. I think I want to say I might have a level three key sphere at this point, which means I can teach Riku holy, which I'm very hopeful to get because that makes a few encounters a lot easier. But uh, it's a cool part where the game is very much telling you, Hey, the sphere grid isn't just a linear upgrade mm-hmm. system for each character to specialize deeper and deeper into their own combat strengths. You're also going to need to start paying attention to what else you could do with it and maybe have characters flex a little bit outside their roles, especially if you get into situations like we're going to be in pretty soon where underwater combat is going to be very important. So uh neat little tidbit that I liked from this game. It was, a, it was a cool little, I mean, totally missable line of dialogue that was still very neat. But as we wrap up this section, uh, Kyle, how are we feeling about, about Final Fantasy X at this point? How do we feel about the home section? I feel like this is where like, uh, the game really start. I don't want to say the game comes into its own, but like there's a renewed sense of purpose, and like mm-hmm. you feel more in on the story at this point, because like yeah. again, like the, there's not this this deafening silence that uh, Titus is uh, missing out on, and the audience is missing out on at this point, and and you know that at least when I played this section, I remember thinking like. Oren definitely knows a lot more of what's going on than he's letting on to like even beyond like you know you you know we you had to know at the right moment uh when to become uh or when Yuna was gonna you know was gonna sacrifice herself and that and whatnot and I think it's just like the combination of the like tie uh breakdown and um the scene that's about to come up is just like it's like maybe my favorite like three hours or so in the game like combined Mm. like it's just such a like excellent uh, sequence and like you start to realize that there's a lot more to this game than like thematically even uh than you probably would have uh beforehand um everything just kind of clicks um from every standpoint yeah i liked it a lot and uh although although i do look forward to getting yuna back because uh her her (laughs) she's too good in combat (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm But yeah, that's about it. It's a it's a a nice little reprieve before. Well, I guess it's not much of a reprieve at all. Um, there was a reprieve in there when they were in the desert, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. now it's like okay, we've got to find a new way to defeat uh, Whale Godzilla, Dad. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pull feet ahead for that. Ken, are you excited to move forward with with Bevel and all that ahead of us? I am. Um, it is like how I was saying. I feel like it's where the game finally like lets you in completely and like see like no more secrets between friends and like mm-hmm. uh, finally like lets you be on the same page as everybody else in a way that is refreshing because now it's, there's less of a sense that Titus is going to have to have his hand held throughout the rest of the game. Thus, the player is also going to have to mm-hmm. uh, kind of be guided through all of this unfamiliar territory, and um, I think that's just like a refreshing way to kick off like basically the game is gonna be like almost non-stop for definitely all for the next episode um where like we've said some of the best moments of this whole game are all centered and 
Yeah, I'm and, looking forward to and, it. And how can you not be excited over the prospect of punching Seymour, aka character who with among the worst, us? <laughs> the worst haircut in the history of characters, just peak Nomura doing his bullshit <laughs> character designs. I hate how Seymour looks so much. I've the always downside, hated him. <laughs> the downside is that Seymour is alive again. The upside is that we get to kill Seymour again. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. he's Turns like... out once was not enough. And also, I mean, this might be a little bit spoilers for uh, what we'll start our next episode talking about, but Oren theorizes that Yuna is going ahead with whatever this this wedding thing is because she believes that she can still send Seymour and and why would Seymour need to get sent? Well, I mean we already kind of know that, but uh we'll we'll learn more about the specifics of how that works uh in the next episode, but I just like the idea of Yuna standing at the altar with Seymour and him being like Yuna, do you take me? Why do you have your staff out? <laughs> and she's doing like this staff dance, like right up there with the wedding dress and everything, like trying to send him mid ceremony. I'm a big fan of of this hail mary play from Yuna. It's great. Yeah, no, it's it's good. I think. I mean, she could maybe pull it off, like when like you know, like the flower girls coming down the the aisle or something. Just mm-hmm. like just gotta mm-hmm. wait for the the window of opportunity, and she could do it. Just As do, she's like, walking down the aisle the water starts kicking up and lifting her up into the air <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh yeah no i'm i'm very excited uh like like home is a great section that i think then like it like we said it gives you a reprieve it recontextualizes everything it makes you see the party without one of its you know pieces of glue that holds it together in place and then gives you such a renewed sense of purpose to jet mm. back out. And it, like, I had to stop myself from just jumping right into the boss battle that we were going to start. That, that's the other thing is this section had no boss battles, no, no major enemies to fight in terms of uh, like quote unquote bosses as we have had in every section prior to now. And I think that's another just emphasis on, they wanted the focus to be, learning what we learn and then giving the party this renewed sense of purpose and focus headed into the act three of this game. Uh, it's exciting. I'm excited to set off on it, but Kyle, I want to thank you for coming on here. I want to thank you for guesting. It was great having you on Uh yeah. shout out any stuff you want to, you want to plug now. Um, well, if you want to see, <laughs> First of all, I would like to say it was you know it was a lot of fun being on here. Um, yeah. uh, Final, Final Fantasy X is a very special game to me, even though I've you know still pretty green on it. Um, mm. I even I need to go back and play t- uh, Ten as well now that yeah. I now that I listen to the audio dramas. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do I'm, that. No, I'm not going to do that. I know what happens there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's on the list right now. I'm working through FF4, um, but. Uh, yeah, no, uh, if you want to catch up with me, I'm at Levito on Twitter. That's at L-E-V-I-T-0. Um, you can follow me on For the Win, uh, where I'm always posting news. Uh, but that's really it uh, for right now. Um, although, I just realized, with uh, Endwalker coming out, did you know that Anima is in it? I did. That was, yeah, yeah the, I saw like, the concept art they had of her in it. Yeah, she, but I haven't she, seen them. She was in the actual cuts, or she was in the the launch trailer for it, and she looks mm. amazing. I need um, to go watch that then. I want to see that. I, I'm never going to play Final Fantasy 14 again, <laughs> but I would like to see what Anima looks like. 
in something yeah. that is not 20 years old. Yeah, exactly. I, I actually think that that, uh, not to get too off track right at the end, but like I think Anima is my favorite summon in this game just because she looks so cool. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's where you can find me. Awesome. As always, you know, you can find us, Normandy FM. We are a retrospective podcast that you can follow along. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Normandy FM, where you can go support us, back us, get into the backer discord at any amount, uh, and hang out with us and chat about all the different games we have played or will be playing. And also just, uh, you know, back us at higher levels if you want some of those extra rewards. Uh, at the next tier up, you get the episodes the second that Ken is done editing them. Literally, the se- not not really the second, but... Uh, it takes a few minutes high- to get them uploaded. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ken's internet. <laughs> a few <laughs> minutes, let's say. Uh, and at the highest level, you get your name shouted out every episode of the podcast. And this episode, that list is just the Wedge of Destiny, Mercedes Cluis, Mir Randomly, and Micah Mante. Mante? I, I hope I got that right. That's a new name on this list. Excited to have you on board. And thank you all for backing the project and backing Normandy FM. We're happy to have you here. So next week, we're headed to Bevel. We'll have another guest, knock on wood. and uh we'll we'll be tackling all kinds of fun stuff so for kyle ken and myself thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time on normandy fm